sunshine. Incredible as they seem, are not the results of mass hysteria. I only... You may wish to adjust the dial. You are currently tuned into... The Wrong Station. Come on, it's this way. Maybe half a league more and then we'll pass the grove. The village won't be much farther after that. It's a good thing I found you before you wandered too far off into the woods. It's easy to get lost in these parts with the way the trails and the hills twist around here. People have gone missing overnight or even longer. Hmm? No, no, never for too long. Most people eventually find their way to the St. Lawrence and get their bearings. Though, of course, every now and then, uh... Ah, forget it. Anyway, most people find their way back to civilization just fine. So, you're here to see old Lancaster Malone, eh? Makes sense, that's why most people visit these parts. Mind you, of course, by most, I don't exactly mean many. It's a beautiful little historical site, sure, and the stories about it, the mystery, I mean, is real interesting, but it's way out here in the middle of nowhere, and there's a reason you don't really hear about it or read about it too often. Well, since you came all the way out here to see the place, I'm going to make sure you make it there before Christmas. <laughs> yes, sirree, the mystery of Lancaster Vermelo. Yeah, I have seen the website. A town that's been abandoned since 1766. The weird tale of how every single one of its residents disappeared in a single night. Well, <laughs> all of them but one. It's a good story. Shame, though, that they leave out all the little details. Those are the best part of any really good mystery. Most people who come out here feel like they're experiencing something, like they're trying to puzzle out how this could have happened, when they don't even have all the bits of the story that are out there. Lucky for you, though. You ran into me out here. Oh, now, watch your step there. Lots of big roots sticking out of the ground. This is an old-growth forest, undisturbed for many years. The roots go deep. They tangle together under the earth, and then they rise back up when they have nowhere else to go. Now, some people, and this might sound a little silly, some of the French, people who traveled through the area before it was even settled, thought that this forest was possessed, that the roots were trying to grab you and pull you down into the ground. Apparently, they say, the original peoples of this land also treaded carefully, and they even warned the French. The Algonquins who lived here, both the Abenaki and the Atamekyu, they seem to be wary of these forests, of the groves near here, as if there was something wrong with the place. Something sinister. Well, that's what the records say, at least. Who knows if it's actually true. If it is true, it certainly didn't stop the founders of this town. Maybe it encouraged them. Me? I love it out here. 
especially this time of year, with the cool breeze blowing through the trees and the sun's warmth keeping the frost at bay, and that wonderful smell of the woods, the grass, the wind coming off the river, the sap, the pollen, it just makes you want to breathe it in deep, huh? <sighs> Come on, go on, you too. Ah, that always sends me back. Makes me think of a very long time ago. You could tell me about evil woods and cursed groves all day long, but all it takes is one deep breath like that, and I know I'll never leave this place. Maybe you'll feel the same way after a while. (laughs) But anyway, let's keep moving. While we're on the way, though, lesson one. Lancaster Vermelon is probably the name you got on your map, but it's not entirely right. I mean, it's technically correct, but it's not the place's real name. That would be ville Much more modest, right? Now, I'm not really sure what the original name of this little village was, or if it even had one way back then, but Lancaster-Vermelon was the name the British gave the settlement after the French-Indian War. A bit of a pompous name, really. A name like Lancaster for a little town like that. It's a bit silly. The people who lived here certainly thought as much. Real old-blood Canadian types. ville was the name they used. You see, the people here were mostly Coopers, and they thought that that description, ville Cooper Town, was fitting enough. Yes, they were modest people. And, of course, they hated the British and despised the newer name on that account as well. Come again? Huh. Yes, uh... I do know an awful lot about this place, don't I? Well, I've lived around here for a very long time. Not too far from where we are, actually. Pretty close to the town itself. No, no family. Just me. And the occasional guests, such as yourself. I'm pretty self-sufficient out here, but I do nature walks every now and then for people passing by the area. I guess you're getting the tour for free right now, huh? No. No, I didn't mention my name. Now, a lot of what we know about Viltimalier actually comes from a single source. A man who lived here for a few years, who actually left just shortly before that fateful night. His name was Ezekiel Allum, a former soldier turned woodsman. An unremarkable man, devout Christian. He came to live in the village in 1764, settling here after the war, and he kept a journal that he wrote in once or twice a week. Nothing very important for the most part, just his thoughts and the odd thing he'd notice. From what he wrote, and what is evident from the lack of any other information, the town was a very insular community. They didn't share much at all with the outside world. They were mostly woodsmen as well, barrel makers, and some made other wooden goods. Catholics, it seemed, and all French. No Germans, no Dutch, certainly no English. Not until the day that Ezekiel arrived. You see, this area had all been French-controlled for years and years, but was ceded to the British after the war. Now, this was a little town of little consequence. No strategic importance, no resources of note, nothing like that. So the people here were largely undisturbed by the changing of territories and boundaries. But at the same time, someone like Alum was now free to take his payment for his service and live out his life here. Why here of all places? Well, why not? You see how beautiful it is here. I see it. And maybe back then he saw it too. 
That's my best guess. Well, he never wrote it down, so I guess no one really remembers why he chose this place. But we do know for certain that he soon came to regret that choice. Are you alright back there? Looks like you're slowing down a bit. We can, uh, stop a minute. You can catch your breath if you like. You just sit there and soak up that forest air. Ah, God, you really could stay here forever. Now Alum quickly realized that his new neighbors were not too keen on his being there. This was a guarded, closed-off community. You could even call it secretive, though what they were hiding... Well, that's later. Their predecessors had been among the first of the French to settle the continent. Alum even suspected that the town may have been inbred to some lesser extent. So this new intruder, this disturber of normal affairs, was not looked upon too kindly. I mean, they clearly hated him because he was English as well, but it went beyond that. And beyond the fact that he knew he wasn't wanted there, he also had a bad sense about the place. Something uh, not quite right. It almost felt as though he was being watched at all times, but it was more than that. He, uh... He writes that it was though there was a presence that lingered at all times, kind of like the feeling that you get when you wake up and there's sleep in your eye, only as though you could never shake it off or splash your face with cold water and wake up. But soon, that became more than a feeling. He started to notice things. Huh. Well, look here. This is the grove I mentioned before. That means the village will just be a few minutes off that way. Now just look at that. Have you ever seen trees like this before? I know there are no redwoods, but there's just something about a big, beautiful oak. Come over here for a minute. Now this tree here, this tree is special. Bigger than anything else for miles. Believe me, I've checked. How old would you say that is? I know, it's, it's hard to imagine. Not without cutting it down and looking at the rings. But what a shame that'd be. You can see everything from the top of it, in every direction. And the roots, well, your average North American white oak is about a half meter to a full meter in diameter, and a tree like that might have roots that go two, three feet deep and then spread out. This tree is, what, four times that size? <laughs> More, probably. No, <laughs> this tree's roots go quite deep. I just have a way of knowing. Alum wrote about this tree, you know, in one of his first entries after coming to this place. He describes it as being about the same size it is now, and how it was strangely revered among the people here. In fact, any of the strange things he ever noticed seemed to happen in this very grove, by this very tree. Now, what do I mean by strange things? Well, it's not entirely clear. Gatherings of some kind, always at night. He would always make sure to keep his distance, so he could really only describe it as strange rituals. And on certain nights of the month, he would hear chants and unusual prayers cutting through the forest air in a language that was difficult to discern. Certainly not French. No, he's, uh, he's not very clear about it. But he certainly knew that whatever they were doing, whoever they were... It had something to do with this tree. You're looking a little tired there, you know. 
Why don't you sit down for a few minutes? There's no rush. Just sit there and breathe. You know, you remind me of little Genevieve. She was the youngest daughter of one of the families here in ville and she loved this grove, and she especially loved this tree. She spent as much time here as she could, every hour that she could spare, because she thought that it was just the most wonderful, most beautiful, most important place in the world. But one day, Genevieve fell ill. She was weak, the color was draining from her, and she couldn't bring herself to eat. But still, she came to this grove every day. Even her parents insisted on it, thinking it would do her well. But it didn't, really. The more time she spent here, the worse she got. Until she faded away entirely. A shame. A real shame. She never knew what this place was doing to her. That this was a place she shouldn't be. Her parents didn't realize it either. Quite the contrary. Should I tell you about all that? You look pretty comfortable where you are. Like you could drift off any minute. Like you just can't get the sleep out of your eyes. <laughs> Alright, sure. Why not? You see, the reason little Genevieve's parents didn't get her to a doctor, not that this village had any doctors, is because they also thought that this was the most important place in the world. The people who lived here chose to do so for a very specific reason. In spite of the fact that, until their being here, no humans who had ever set foot in this place wanted any part of it. Now, the secrecy and isolationist views of the people who lived here went far beyond there just being some small, close-knit community. The forebears of ville since their migration from France, and well before then, had been worshippers of something not quite in the Judeo-Christian norm. Nameless pagan things, primal forces, some warped relic of a religion scrapped together from forgotten druidic traditions. Now, if I'm being honest, they were never very good with all that. Huh. Had any person from their tribe ever been a sorcerer or a druid of any note, they probably would have been burned at the stake back in Europe. <laughs> no, even with all their chants and prayers, they never accomplished much in this world. But, in their defense, they did find this place, and this tree. Now, Alum had deep in his gut realized that there was something sinister about this place, this forest, and any idiot fur trader wandering through would have realized the same, but that feeling eluded these people. Either that, or they simply didn't care. They had found their mecca of sorts, a hotbed of latent mystical power. The problem, though, is what they thought that meant versus the reality of their situation. They thought that this place would give them what they wanted, they truly believed that, in spite of all the signs. But, of course, it didn't. They prayed for long life, but most of them never got to be too old. They prayed for the health of their livestock, but the animals gave little and withered away. They prayed when their children became sick, but their children only grew worse with each little prayer, until they died. You see, that's the thing about all the powerful things in the world that we don't understand. They aren't powerful because they give. They're powerful because they take. Hey now, are you still awake there? I can see you looking at me with your eyes. I'll just assume you can still hear me too. Anyway, one night, a few days after little Genevieve had passed, Alum was 
sitting in his home, unable to sleep. The chanting that he would usually only hear once a fortnight, well, it was the loudest it had ever been. He simply had no choice but to leave his home and investigate. And what he found deeply startled him. Every person from the village, it seemed, every man, every woman, child, was present, all dressed in strange robes, holding idols, chanting, with Genevieve, the little girl who had died, laid in the center of their circle in ceremonial fashion. Yes, at the time, he didn't truly realize the gravity of what he was seeing. But thereafter, he realized that these villagers were attempting a powerful necromantic rite. These people, who had never once been given anything by this evil place, were now asking for more than they had ever asked before. And they very shortly discovered that such gall has a price. As Alam watched on, the ground began to rumble. The chanting grew louder, more euphoric, as the villagers sensed that their spell might be working. The chanting became louder still, and the earth seemed like it would split open. And it did. A great, thick, gnarled root burst from the ground and snatched the closest thing, the closest person it could find, and as quick as it had come up, it disappeared back down, dragging that villager with it. All at once, the chants stopped, and screams took their place. People panicked, ran in every direction, but it was too late. More roots arose, five, ten, twenty. Enough. Nobody got away. Each of those people, who arrogantly thought that they could control forces beyond them, and even their children, were dragged down beneath the earth. Alum, from a seemingly safe distance, he looked on in horror, afraid to even move from his hiding place, lest the same fate befall him. And as he looked out on that now quiet clearing, he noticed that the girl was still there, her body undisturbed. And then he noticed that she slowly started to move until she stood up. It was impossible for him to see her face from that distance, but what he did see was that she looked around for a short while, and then she began to cry. She wandered off, her soft sobs filling the night air, looking for someone, anyone. She probably died alone out in those woods. Died again, that is. Alum never wrote any of that part down. What he saw, and how he ran for days until reaching the next town, never explaining what had happened. He tried not to even think about it, at least until he was old and near death himself. I'm not a, uh, good Christian man. I was once, but not anymore. I grew old. I married a wife who died after giving me two ungrateful sons. An unremarkable life. But as the years passed on, as I became weaker, approached closer to the grave, I just couldn't stop thinking of that dead girl who had risen up and wandered into the woods. So I made a choice. One that I still live with. I decided to succeed where those fools of Viltamalier had failed. This great tree, the source of power in this place, it doesn't have a name. I don't even know whether it's some dark animus possessing a vessel, a demon bound in the wood, or if this is simply what it's always been. But 
knowing that's not important, because even though I don't know what it is, I still understand it. It's all give and take, you see. It's always give and take. I've lived for over 200 years now. It's really a small feat, eternal life. You just need to know what the tree wants. And what it wants is simple. It doesn't need to feed too often. Maybe once or twice a year. Most of the time when people come here, I'll just talk to them, as I've talked to you, to pass the time. I'll hear their stories and tell them mine. Part of mine. And then I'll send them off. But you, you're lucky. You get to hear the whole story. I can see you're already too weak to move. Soon it'll be over, and you'll be part of it. Just keep breathing in those spores, and you won't feel a thing. Look on the bright side. You'll be in this beautiful place for all eternity too. Just not in the same way as me. You'll get to look out on that horizon in every direction. And smell that sweet, sweet air forever. The Wrong Station is created and produced by Alexander Saxton and Anthony Botello, with music composed by Alon Zittrin, and featuring artwork by Jenny Henderson of Jenny Henderson Studio and Mirka Loisel of Mirka Illustrates. This week's episode, These Old Trees, was written by Anthony Botello. You can tune in Sunday evenings for new episodes and subscribe on iTunes and Google Play Music. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and email us at therongstation at gmail.com. Until next time, thank you for listening.